This last week, our family went to a theme park for my brother's birthday, and we were celebrating John's birthday. Happy birthday to a great brother. And we were also just spending some family time. My wife couldn't go because we have a two-week-old baby, and so she was staying home with our two-week-old. And I thought, you know, this will be a good chance for me to take Liam, our firstborn son. He's 18 months old. This will be a good bonding moment. Uh, to take him with me and go with my mom, my brother and sister-in-law and their kids. And so we were at the theme park, and, and my 18-month-old son is 100% boy, maybe even 200% boy. He is all uh, excitement and testing and curious and checking out everything and running around, wants to play hide-and-seek. And we walked into this show on the, in the theme park where they were doing science experiments, and Liam wasn't really into it. He was kind of, he wandered off to the back of the room. There was about 300 people in there, and the last few rows were empty, and so he was running down the rows and trying to play hide-and-seek with Daddy, and he was making these crazy, you know, noises. He was like, ah! You know, he's making these raptor noises and acting like, you know, some sort of dinosaur. I don't know where he gets this because he's not seen any dinosaur movies. But somehow in, the, in his mind, he's acting like a raptor. And, you know, he's going through the rows and trying to play hide and seek and laughing. And I'm, like, embarrassed because people are turning around, watching, and trying to figure out where this noise is coming from. And I'm trying to find Liam. And finally, I corner Liam. I get him in a place where he can't go left, right, or backwards, so he's faced by me, and I'm coming near him, and I'm trying to, you know, pick him up, and I wanted to give him a little spanking, a little pow-pow, but you can't really do that in public in front of all these people, uh, because he was being disobedient. Like, I wasn't being an impatient dad. I was trying to be a good dad, but here I was, and I, was, I had cornered him, and he was going, <laughs> and he was making these, like, little noises and just laughing, and so finally, I lift him up, and when I lift him up, he goes, you know, he just lets out this crazy loud scream, and every, it's like they turn all the lights on me in the back. <laughs> Everyone turns around, and they're staring at my son, who's now pushing away from me, and I'm holding him tightly, and, and he's screaming, and so I just look at everybody, I'm like, he's done, he's all done, and so I start walking to the exit, and this lady stands in front of the exit door, she goes, this is the wrong exit, you're going to have to go across the room to the other exit. <laughs> So I walked past everybody who was looking at me, and this was abnormal. Like, I want y'all to know, Liam is a good kid. This was just a moment. I think my mom had given him some of her pop at lunch, and, and I think he had too much sugar. Um, grandmas give their grandbabies too much sugar sometimes. So I walk him out the exit, and um, I was thinking about this, about this, this message, because Liam knew that he was doing something wrong, and yet he still did it. And I think sometimes we do this with our Father God. We know when we're not supposed to do something, but because we're excited in the moment or we're curious or we want to know what we can get away with, we oftentimes will go ahead and do it. And when Paul was talking to Timothy about the fight of faith, he wasn't just talking about not having fear. He was talking about the obedient relationship between you and God. The decision to obey God's word. Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. In other words, don't stop following God's word. I know at times your flesh might want to do something different than what the Spirit of God is calling you to do, but don't buy into the flesh's temptations. 
fight the good fight of faith. All of us in this room are in a fight. If I was to ask you this morning what fight you might be in right now, uh, some of you might be fighting a sickness, might be fighting cancer, might be fighting leukemia, and today I want to say you're healed in Jesus' name. You have victory over that sickness. Some in the room, you might be fighting an addiction or fighting a lifestyle that you know you're not supposed to live, or some might be fighting just for custody of your kids or fighting to hold on to your marriage or, or fighting uh, against persecution in the workplace or all kinds of things that are coming against you, but there's one fight that every believer fights, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been saved, and it's the fight to live pure. It's the fight to walk in purity because every single one of us are faced with temptations every week. In fact, nine out of 10 believers, statistics say, nine out of 10, this isn't even the world, this is just believers, nine out of 10 believers, statistics say, uh, struggle with an impure thought every week. Every week, there's, a t there's an impure thought that tries to come in your mind. Now, whether you allow it to stay there or you push it out, that's, what, that's up to you. But there is a temptation that comes against every believer. Just because you got saved doesn't mean that the devil stopped tempting you. No, he drew a big target on you and he said, you're going to be a trophy if I can get you. I'm coming after you because if I can get you, I can get the influence that's connected to you. The potential believers that are watching your example. Just because you decided to follow Jesus doesn't mean, even Jesus himself was tempted. Even Jesus himself was faced with temptations by the devil in the wilderness and even right before the cross. Billy Graham said it this, he said, even in my old age, this was last year in an interview with him, they said, You're, you've, been a, a pat, you've been a minister for a long time, you've been following Jesus for uh, over 50 years, preaching the gospel, we bet you never struggle with sin. He said, no, 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 no. He said, the devil still tempts me, but I choose to resist the temptation. And as believers, that's how we fight the good fight of faith, is choosing to fight to stay pure, because all of us in this room fight it, and whether you admit it or not, it's like I might ask you to raise your hand for certain fights, but when I get to the moment where I say, how many of y'all are fighting lust, no one wants to raise their hand, because it's one of those embarrassing questions, like, I don't know if I want to admit that in front of everyone, but the truth is, statistics say, all of us face temptation, and I want to tell you about a man in the Bible who faced temptation uh, very, very difficult, and God gives us a lesson to learn from his life. His name was Samson. Judges chapter 13, verse 5, says there was a, a mother and a father, a man and woman, who were believing God for a child. She had been barren, and God said, I'm going to give you a son. Verse 5, you will conceive, and no razor will come upon his head. And I underlined that in the Bible because I thought there's a connection between his head and his destiny. There's a connection between your mind and your destiny. And watch what happens. He says, the child will be a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite means set apart for God. You say, well, that's good. That was Samson's life. No, that's your life as a believer. Because when you decided to follow Jesus, Peter said, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. You are set apart for God's work. You are set apart just like he was. And he says, he will begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. In other words, there's a calling on this kid's life. But his destiny is connected to his purity. Because a Nazarite meant someone who would live a pure life before God. To be set apart. He wasn't to marry certain women. He was supposed to marry women who were part of the Israelite community. Women who feared the Lord. Who didn't worship other idols, other gods from different communities that would surround Israel. 
And yet Samson, even though he was strong on the outside, it's funny how you can be strong on the outside but be weak on the inside. You could be strong out here but weak in here. Samson had one major weakness, and it was women. Samson loved all different types of women. In fact, he left the Israelite community and he pursued women who were part of, uh, that would serve other gods, other idols. And so jump with me to Judges chapter 16, verse 5. I want you to see um, the, the story. When I say Samson, what other name comes to your mind? Delilah. What's funny is Delilah only makes up 13 verses of Samson's three-chapter story in the Bible. And yet it was his defining moment. Because everybody has a defining moment of where they will choose whether they will fight to stay pure or give in to the temptation. It says that afterward it happened that Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sarek whose name was Delilah. There's something about them valley girls. <laughs> now I'm not picking on any valley girls in the room today, but Samson was a mountain boy. And yet he left the mountain to go and date a girl down in the valley. And there's a calling on you singles in the room. Where's the singles at? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Look around. Look around. All right. There you go. God has a calling on singles. God has a calling on married couples and singles. But for those of you who aren't married yet, God has called you to not just be missionary dating someone who doesn't believe in God or worships another idol. God's called you to go after someone who's worshiping your same God, who's in your church. You ain't going to find a good person in the club. You're going to find them in the church. You're not going to find them at some place where they're worshiping some other idol. You're going to find them in the right place. I want to tell some single who's been searching, the miracle is in the house today. Come on, somebody. You've been looking everywhere but the church, but she's in the house. Samson left the house to go find someone else. And what's funny is the story of Samson and Delilah, nowhere in the story does it say that Delilah ever loved Samson. The whole story is about Samson's love for Delilah, but she never says the words, I love you back. Because lust promises affirmation, affection, exception, and yet it plans to destroy you. Delilah knew from the very beginning, I'm not in this for love. I'm in this to take you down. Delilah was bribed by the Philistines to find out Samson's secret strength. See, Samson was a very strong man. No one could defeat him. No one could take him down. He was a warrior. And it's funny how the devil looks for warriors. He looks for the mighty. And he looks for people who choose to follow a plan that God has put on their life. That's why this message is so important for you today. Don't miss this. The devil will vie for your, your, your affection, your attention, and he will try to distract you from your destiny. But see, here's the calling that we have to realize. The calling for purity, it's not about a line that we're trying not to cross. It's about a direction that we're called to pursue. Don't look at purity as some boundary, like I can't do this and I can't do that. Look at purity as a vision for your life. Like, man, as long as I'm walking in this, I will always see God's favor in my life. There's a connection between your purity positioning you for God's favor in your life. Samson began to fall for Delilah. And we look at the story, he was fooled by his own pride. When you look at lust and you look at the uh, effects of lust, whether it be pornography or adultery or fornication, whatever it is, all the different things that, that God boundaries, he lines out in the word of God on how to walk in purity. We see that, that lust is really just a result of pride. Because lust was here from the beginning of time. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, when God created the very first man, Adam, 
And then he created Eve. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except that one tree. And what did they do? They went to that one tree, right? It was her fault. She took it. Guys are always casting the blame. And then she started casting the blame. It wasn't my fault. It was the devil's fault. But see, there was part of human nature, the desire to want something that you can't have. And here's what Adam and Eve thought. Even though God told them you shouldn't do this because it's not good for you, their pride said, I know what's best for me, even if it contradicts what God says is best for me. Samson was saying the same thing. I know what's best for me, even if it contradicts what God says is best for me. And so he took the lie of lust. Lust says, if you have this, then you'll be content. If you do this, if you sleep with this person, if you look at this stuff, if you cross the lines of this relationship, if you take it past where it should be, you will be satisfied. But lust promises you everything and leaves you with nothing. Delilah's plan from the get-go was to strip Samson of everything he had. And I wish we could all see the this, this story of Samson and Delilah, the way that God's just been illuminating it to me this past week. Because when we do, we'll start seeing sin in a whole different light, that it's an illusion. It's a mirage. It leaves you with nothing. There's three things we can take from the story of Samson, three things God pointed out to me this past week as I was praying and studying this that I want to share with you today. And, and these three words, just it was like they were jumping off the pages at me. And I want to give them to you real quick, and then I'll come back and define them. But the three words were resist, repent, refocus. Resist, repent, refocus. Resist. Let's look at that. Resist means to protect against. It means to weather, to endure, to withstand, to combat, to keep out, to be proof against. I like that word right there, combat, because it goes right along with our fight or flight. You either fight against it or you bow down to it. You either choose you're going to fight against this temptation, you're going you're gonna to overcome it, or you're just going to let it beat you up. Let me just show you what resistance looks like. Let me get some help from my friend AJ. Give AJ a big hand. Now, AJ, I want you to come at me like just an overwhelming temptation, and I'm not going to resist. <laughs> right? That's what it looks like when you give in. To sin, when you give in to temptation, you're like, Paul, it's just overwhelming. It's Because these days, temptation is everywhere, right? It's not that sin is, is bigger than it was back in the Garden of Eden. It's just that now it's more accessible than it's ever been. It's at your fingertips. It's in your phone. It's in your iPad, your computer, in your dorm room, your, your workplace. It's everywhere. And as long as you just bow down to the enemy and just let him push you down and say, I just, it's too much. But see, to resist the devil, as James chapter 4, 7 says, is to combat back. So as he comes at me, I'm going to push back. 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 And as I push back, the devil has to flee. Come on, give AJ a big hand. James chapter 4, verse 7 says this, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. When you resist the devil, he has to flee. And a lot of people like that part right there, but they miss the beginning. It's like they kind of, they just look past the first part. Because resistance without surrender leads to no power. If you're not submitted to God and you're just resisting the devil, it's going to be hard for you to overcome that temptation. Because resistance requires submission. 
If you want to have power to overcome impure thoughts and impure uh, behavior style, be impure uh, things that, that your flesh is tempting you to do. And by the way, when you get saved, you don't lose your flesh. Your flesh is still wrapped around your spirit. So there's a war every day. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. My flesh fights against my spirit. What I will to do, I don't do because there's this other part of me that's warring against me. It's your evil twin, <laughs> right? It's the part of you that you, you, you don't want to admit is there because it's embarrassing. But you're not alone. Paul the Apostle wrote half the New Testament and he himself struggled overcoming the flesh. But there's a way out. There's a way out. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can have power over the enemy. And so when we choose to resist, in order to have power to resist the devil, we have to submit ourselves to God, which looks like this. Lord, I need your help fighting this temptation. God, I surrender. I can't do it without you. Lord, I need your strength. Holy Spirit, empower me. That as that temptation comes, I'm able to resist it that I'm able to overcome it, and that the enemy has to flee. When you submit to God, when you're on your knees, you have power against the enemy. Resistance requires surrender. See, here's the truth. Samson had placed himself in an almost impossible atmosphere to resist the devil. He was in the woman's house. But here's the interesting thing. Look through the story of Samson and Delilah. Nowhere in the story does it say that they ever committed a physical sin. The most intimate it ever got was Samson put his head on her, on her knee, on her lap. That's the only physical interaction we see, and yet his purity was compromised. Why? Because purity can be compromised without physical contact. Purity is an issue of the heart before it's an issue of the body. It's an issue of the mind before it's ever an issue of the physical decisions that you make. Jesus said, if you do it in here, it's as if you've done it out there. Some of us say, well, I'm not doing anything impure. I, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't committed fornication. I haven't done any of that stuff. Well, how's your mind, though? Because what you think about and dwell on eventually starts to come out here. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so Samson commits impurity because of opening up about his emotions, his secret to his strength. In fact, the resistance was so hard for Samson. I want to just show you what happens. Judges 16, verse 16, it says Delilah every day would pester Samson. She would press him. She would ask him questions. And she would uh, uh, pressure him to every day. Tell me your secret. Do you love me, Samson? Don't you love me? Give me what you have. Don't you love me? And it says he was vexed to death. See, Temptation's going to come, and all God asks from us is that we would stay on the battlefield. That we wouldn't wander off into the woods like Absalom. That we would stay out and fight because you have what it takes to win the fight. You just can't put your gloves down. You can't walk out of the ring. You got to stick with it. Samson quit, and maybe he was this close to having a breakthrough. So many people quit because they're exhausted, fatigued by the pressures of the temptation that they're facing. So many of us, we give in to temptation, and, and I've, I've talked with different people who've fallen uh, into the sin, and they say, Paul, I was just exhausted, because oftentimes exhaustion leads to sin. That's why if you're tired, go to the only place where you can find true rest. It's in his presence. If you're exhausted, 
you're not going to find your, your, your uh, answer to your fatigue in a woman, in a man, in a drink, or in a drug. You're going to find it in Jesus alone. You can't find it on a website, in a picture, or a video. You can only find true rest and satisfaction in Christ alone. That's why today the devil hates that you even showed up to church. The devil right now is trying to play mind games with you just to distract you from this sermon because he knows if you get this, you could defeat him and you could win this war against temptation. It doesn't mean the temptation will leave. It's just that you'll have power over it. Samson gave in. In verse 17, he began to share his secrets with her. and He, laid, laid down his, uh, he, he basically laid down his gloves. He gave up the fight. There's another man who chose to resist that was much different than Samson's story. And he was in the same situation, Joseph. Joseph in Genesis 39 was in a house where he would work for Potiphar, a man who was under Pharaoh in Egypt. Joseph was in another land who worshipped other idols and other gods, and he was serving in this house, and oftentimes Potiphar would leave the house, and his beautiful wife would be at home alone where Joseph was serving. And it says his wife was attracted to Joseph, and she would pressure Joseph every day, putting pressure on Joseph to come and sleep with her. And Joseph would oftentimes resist it, and one day she was so strong with her temptation, she came at Joseph and flung herself in his arms, and it says that Joseph realized what this sin meant. That he wasn't just sinning against uh, Potiphar, but he was sinning against God. Joseph had such an intimate relationship with God that he knew to commit this sin was to break the fellowship and the intimacy between him and God. And Joseph saw this. I want you to see this. His purity was connected to his destiny. He realized this, that purity sees past the present and realizes one's future is more important than the pleasure of a moment. I'm going to say it one more time. Purity sees past the present by realizing one's future purpose is more important than the pleasure of a moment. Joseph saw Potiphar's wife and realized, okay, obviously God's creation is beautiful. But do I really want to compromise my destiny for the pleasure of a moment? That won't, that won't last long. A few minutes of pleasure is not worth a lifetime of my calling. Joseph realized this. The consequences of resisting this woman might mean that he would be thrown in a dungeon. Because he knew she would cause all kinds of slander and gossip to talk about Joseph. And, and he counted the cost. I'd rather be thrown in a dungeon for doing the right thing than be living in a palace for doing the wrong thing. I'd rather be a private success and a public failure than be a public success and a private failure. I'd rather take the consequences of the world for keeping my virginity than take the consequences between me and God for giving it away and winning in the eyes of the world. Someone needs to hear this today. You might win in the eyes of the world when you commit that sexual morality. You might get some high fives at work. But what happens to your relationship with God? What happens to your intimacy between you and God? God forgives. He is so graceful. He is so graceful. But something changes. There's consequences to our sin. There's consequences. And oftentimes, God's relationship with you can be restored. But your relationship with the person that you hurt... And the people that are affected because of our stupid choices. Because temptation in our minds seems too big for us to overcome. Jesus said, I can empathize with every temptation you've faced in Hebrews 2. I, I, I know how you feel. You might feel alone, but Jesus said, I've got the strength you need to resist and overcome. Number two is repent. Repent. We look at the word repentance and we think, well, that's, 
That's not a good word. That's an Old Testament word. No, that started in the New Testament. John the Baptist said, repent, prepare the way of the Lord. Repentance is a merciful thing. It's not a condemning thing. In fact, the only way you can repent is by the grace of God calling you to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. The same guy who wrote all about grace talked about repentance, that the grace of God draws men to a place of repentance. And here's what repentance means. Because sometimes I think we mix it up. Repentance actually means a change of mind that results in a change of action. Keys, I want you to come up as I get ready to close. A change of mind that results in a change of action. In other words, from the inside out. Everybody say inside out. This, was, this started in the scripture. That God wanted us to have a changing in our mind. A renewing in our mind that would result in a renewing of our behavior. Oftentimes when we mix it up, we say they need to change their behavior. Well, their behavior can't be changed unless they have their mind be renewed by the word of God, by the grace of God. We're not in a behavior modification program here as a church. We're in a Jesus, look to him and find hope and let him renew your mind and then your actions will be renewed kind of program. It's not a program, it's a relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Because when this gets right between you and God, everything out here begins to change. You begin to see a different you with the way that you look at women, the way that you look at men, the way that you see your body. You start realizing, I don't need that to feel affirmed and accepted. accepted. I don't need this to feel content and satisfied. I can be satisfied without having to indulge in what my flesh wants on a daily basis. Paul said, I've learned how to be abased and how to abound. I've learned the secret to contentment. It's not in a drug. It's not in a pill, a drink, or sexual morality. The secret to contentment is Jesus plus nothing equals everything I need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you repent, something changes. Samson fell. It says that when he woke from his sleep after he had told Delilah his secret of how uh, his strength would be gone if his hair was cut, that she cut his hair, and when he woke up, he tried to overcome the Philistines, and he didn't even realize that the Spirit of God had left him. And he went through a very dark time in his life. In fact, his eyes were gouged out. Samson was binded by temptation and then blinded because he fell into it. When his eyes were gouged out, he would push the plow for the Philistines. Thinking about his sin, God began to draw him to repentance, to receive forgiveness. And through that repentance, there was restoration. His hair started growing back again. Because what changes in the mind eventually begins to change on the outside. And as his hair grew back again, his strength came back again. And as his strength came back again, he realized his purpose. Delilah was the last woman he ever touched. It wasn't that he couldn't have another marriage and be healthy and happy and live strong, but he realized, for me and my life, my destiny, I have one purpose. It's to glorify God. It's to obey God. Samson got back on track, and the day came where there was a big party in the temple of Dagon. They were worshiping an idol, and Samson said, put me between the pillars. God, you still have a plan for my life. That's an Old Testament story of uh, moral failure being restored. A New Testament story is when Peter fell, when he denied Jesus three times, and Jesus said, I still got a plan for you. Today, no matter how many times you've been divorced, no matter how many times you've given yourself away, no matter how many times you've looked at junk or messed up or feel like a failure, God says, I'm not finished with you yet. I still have a plan for you. I want to draw you to repentance by my grace so I can change you from the inside out. I want, I want you to know I still have a purpose for you. I can still use you to minister. 
Despite the consequences, God says, I'm not finished with you yet. I heard a story of a girl that me and my wife discipled. We were ministering to her. And, and I thought oftentimes the impure thoughts were really a guy thing. And then I realized, wait a minute, this is both genders. Everyone, young and old, male and female, have to overcome impure thoughts and impure temptations and urges. Her story was so powerful, we had her share her testimony in our church because repentance requires honesty with God. You can't expect God to change you if you keep everything secret and hidden and never tell anyone what you're dealing with. You gotta open up to God, find someone you can trust and say, would you pray for me? I am, I am feeling attacked in my mind and in my heart. And she saw a breakthrough in her life. I want you to see this story. This is a story of charity. Check this out. I was... 11 years old, the first time I was exposed to pornography. We stayed at a hotel and we were supposed to be asleep, but I was still awake underneath the blankets. When I took the blankets off, I looked at the TV. That was the first time I was exposed to pornography. I was just embarrassed because I knew it was wrong. I didn't tell anybody about it. Two years later, um, I was just switching through the channels and there it was again. I felt really bad and disgusted. I guess that was the time I started becoming addicted to it. For three years straight, I was just constantly watching it almost every night. It's like I was a totally complete different person at night. It's like I would go into this whole nother world I couldn't talk to anybody about it, you know, because I was just so embarrassed, so trapped in this bondage that I couldn't break free from. I just feel so disgusted at myself because I just couldn't get out of it and I didn't know what it was and I wanted help. It was even hard to look at my mom in the face. I was just so ashamed of what people, especially what my family would think of me. There was this voice saying, you know, you, you can't go anywhere with what you're dealing with. Nobody's gonna accept you. You can't get these images out of you. How could you? Because you were exposed to them at such a young age, so it's gonna be attached to you forever. I'm like this dirty, unclean person. How can God accept an unclean person like me? My cousin just told me, you know, maybe you should come to church. Maybe you might find something different there. My cousin wanted to sit up front and I was like, no, 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 no. We are not sitting up here. We sat all the way at the top of the stairs and I just kept my head down the whole time. Everything that he was speaking about, like I felt it shooting into my heart. I just heard God's voice saying, I can take off that heavy load on your shoulders, Charity. If you just give your life to me. I got up and I ran down the stairs. I ran down to the altar and I just gave it all to God. I just felt like this heavy load just come off and like I was just this new person. You know, when you keep a secret, it's like you're still living as that old person, even though you've been saved. When I was in that torment, and I accepted Jesus into my life, I grew strength that I never felt before. 
And then when I shared my secret, man, it was, it was amazing. A lot of girls came up and was like, you know, I'm so glad that you shared your testimony because I thought I was the only one who was dealing with that. Now I know that I can't hold it in, you know? I have to help other young girls who are dealing with the same thing. I can go and move forward without thinking of anything, without thinking of the past. I am free from bondage, from fear, from torment, and I am so thankful that I can live each day like that. I know what God did in my life because I know I have no secrets. <laughs> Praise God, praise God. I'm no longer a slave of fear. I'm a child of God. The last word is refocus. Charity had to refocus. She was resisting, then she repented, but then she began to refocus. To refocus means to adjust the lens, to change what you're looking at, to change what you're paying attention to. That when you refocus, you're putting your attention, your resources on something Else, You're putting your, your, your uh, attention on something different than what it's been on. And I think about how oftentimes when you're using binoculars, things are blurry. But then you begin to focus the lens and it becomes clear. And oftentimes in our lives, we are struggling with a sin, a temptation, because our focus is off. As long as you're focused on the thing you can't do, you're going to be driven with a sense of discontentment. Lust is a, is a deep sense of discontentment with one's life because you're focused on what you can't have. You're focused on whether you're single or you're married and there's things that you want to do that you can't do and at the heart of lust, this pride that says, I'm going to do it anyways because I can. I'm going to try and get away with it. I'm going to try and hide it. But as long as you hide it, you're going to be vexed inside knowing that something is off between you and God. Charity came to that moment where it was a refocus time. There's got to be something better than pornography. There's got to be something more satisfying than anything this world can offer. I heard a story about this fish who was plucked out of the water, and they put the fish on the beach. They were trying to set this fish up with a nice life from the world. They built him a nice fish mansion, gave him a fish boy magazine, some fish babes, some fish beer, some fish cigarettes, gave him everything the world could offer. And yet the fish was... <gasps> dying to breathe. Why? Because he wasn't made for the land. He was made for the water. No matter what you take from this world, there's nothing here that can satisfy you. No matter what you look at online, there's nothing that can truly be the contentment that you want because you weren't made for this world. You were made for something greater. You are a kingdom citizen. And as long as you're taking the stuff this world has to offer, it's going to be choking the life out. Samson didn't even realize he was losing his life, his intimacy with God. Today, God's opening your eyes. He's drawing your heart. There's a story in ancient Greece they would tell about the island of Sirens. Ships would sail past this island. This beautiful sound would go out. These mermaids would sing and ships would follow the sound of the mermaids and they'd veer off their course, divert their course and go to the island and when they got closer to the island the mermaids would jump on the ship, steal all their goods and kill all the sailors. Hundreds of ships were lost and destroyed because of this sound and oftentimes people would sail knowing that they were sailing towards their death as they diverted towards the course because the sound was just too hard to resist. There were only two ships that made it past the island of the sirens. One was Odysseys 
And Odysseus was a man who decided he was going to uh, pour wax into his sailors' ears. And then he would have his sailors scream at the top of their lungs and then chain him to the mast of the ship so that when he sailed past the island, he could hear it. But he said, no matter what, don't unchain me. And they would scream, and they barely survived sailing past the island of the sirens. So many Christians are like that barely surviving it's so painful say no to what the flesh wants to do i just want to sin and if we if we leave one sin and we we forget to refocus our attention on something greater we'll just go to another addiction like some people they they leave a sexual addiction and then they jump into a drug addiction i was talking to someone the other day who said i was hooked on crack cocaine for such a long time and then i got free from it but I needed another drug. I needed something else. And so I jumped into a sexual addiction. And it's like I've just been jumping from an addiction to an addiction to an addiction. And I, I forgot to refocus my attention on something and someone whose presence is greater than any drug. Because every time you take a drug, you want more of it. You need more of it. It's the same thing with pornography. It's the same thing with sexual sin. As long as you get it, you want more of it. And it draws you. It's this captivating thing. It's like a fishing uh, rod and this bait. Fish know when they take the bait, there's a hook on the other side, but they keep taking the bait. Your bait might be different than my bait, but the truth is we all got something that we're looking at. The forbidden things are, are always the shiniest things, the things that you want. But God says, I've got something greater to focus on. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and entanglement of sin. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Refocusing our attention on Jesus. Refocusing your affection on Jesus. Today, he says, I'm more than enough. The other sailor who made it past the island of the sirens was Jason and the Argonauts. They were sailing past the island, and before they left, they said, we're going to find something, because they had heard the stories. Everyone who hears the sound diverts the way. It's too hard to resist. So he said, I've got a better idea. They hired the greatest lute player who would play this beautiful sound on their ship. And they said that when the sound would be played from the lute, that people would be captivated by the sound, that nothing else mattered. And so the lute player played on the ship as they were sailing past the island of the sirens. And the sirens were singing and making their noise. But the ship wasn't diverting. They weren't turning. And, and the sirens were confused. They, they stopped singing and they began to hear the sound on the ship. And there was this lute player who was playing the most beautiful sound. And the men on the ship were so captivated by the beauty of the lute that they, they weren't even aware of the island of the sirens. Because there was something more beautiful, something more great to focus their attention on. Today, I want to tell you this. Jesus is enough for you. He's enough for every need. You. I want you to stand on your feet all over this room. When you focus your attention on him, Colossians 3.1, shifting your affection on Jesus. When we focus on him, it's not that temptations stop coming to our door. It's just that they're no longer as loud, no longer as powerful. We have a greater one who lives inside of us to overcome that temptation, to overcome that struggle today. No matter what you're feeling attacked by, no matter what temptation is coming near you, maybe you feel like charity all alone and the devil's been whispering this lie saying, you're the only one that deals with this. You're the only one in the church that deals with this. That's such a lie. Today, you could break free of that lie, that secret, that dishonesty. I know in my own life, when I was at ORU, 
I opened that door to lust. And I was so trapped by the lie that I was the only guy on ORU that was dealing with it. And I remember one chapel service that they did an altar call for people who, who had a battle in their mind, a battlefield where they felt like they were being defeated by impure thoughts. And I was so afraid to go down because I thought, what are people going to think? I'm a leader on campus. I'm a chaplain. I, I serve on campus here at ORU. But God began to draw my heart. Don't care what anyone else thinks. When you get real with me, I'll get real with you. When you're ready to stop playing games with me, I'll start doing some real work in your life. And today I'm talking to somebody who feels like they can't respond to this message because of the fear of man. As long as you're afraid of man, it will always be a snare on your life. We've got to break free from what people think and decide, what does my destiny need? Not the pleasure of a moment, not what do people think, but what is my destiny calling me to do? Because today freedom is in the house. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, there's freedom available at the altar. He says, come and find your drink. You won't find it anywhere else. You won't find it in the club. You won't find it at the bar. You won't find it on the website. You won't find it in that affair and that adultery. You can only find your satisfaction in Jesus. It's just nothing in this world will ever be enough. You were born to live at a higher level. And the day came, that moment in chapel where I was fighting to go down and, and I decided to go down to that altar call and I'm so glad I did because it was the beginning of a freedom that started in my life to overcome that lust, to overcome those impure thoughts. And the more that I pursued Jesus and focused my attention on Him, the less the temptations had their power and their hold on my mind and my heart and my body because today Jesus is saying, let your heart and your mind be renewed so that your body can be renewed. 